oops, hey, what's up? It's BZ. I'm jumping in very quickly because this is an interview with a very relatable and very inspiring Brandy, the host and creator of This Plus That, one of my most favorite podcasts. And I absolutely introduce her and I do all of the things you're supposed to do with important interviews. But I don't do that till I don't know how long into the actual conversation. And it was one of those we were talking and I just hit record. And so Brandy just jumps in at the beginning and it was even more uh, abrasive and abrupt. Not abrasive. I'm abrasive. The beginning of this interview is abrupt. And so I just jumped in very quickly to give you a little bit of a pad, a little bit of a runway, a little bit of a buffer. And just to promise that you'll figure out who she is, why I'm speaking with her, and also why her content and her writing and her podcast is one of my most favorite out there. so hard because in part I'm like part of this is for me like I mean the intro I wrote for like the nature plus communication conversation with Ashley Eliza Williams is like one of my favorite intros I've written and it's like it was such a joy I love hearing it I would listen to it over and over again I think it was just so fun and you know part of why I think I'm doing the podcast is because I deeply just want to be sitting with questions and so the fact that I like open with questions is like really important to me to like give context because it's like here's what I'm wrestling with firstly I mean the whole reason (laughs) I think anyone should be doing anything is for you i if you get joy out of it i think you answered your question perhaps the thing to play with then is you know invest the time and energy into the intro and then less in the preparing and demonstrating to your interviewee that you've learned every detail of their career and life's work (laughs) so that might be the the play but totally yeah yeah well it's We'll get into this as well, but yeah, podcast, I really do that. a podcast Honestly. as a form of art, as a creative product is something I think I, I'm certainly still coming to terms with. And that and listening to, I don't want to say the messy podcasts, but the truly, you know, hit record, start talking and publish. That's what gave me the permission to yeah. start to create yeah. on this level. And it really does yeah. feel like my creative endeavor, my creative product. And yeah. Yeah, I'm on the fence about do you create content for you or do you create content yeah. for your audience? I think I don't think there's one or the other. Yeah, no, I think it's probably a little of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the sort of artistic question or, you know, like that is a very artistic question is like, who do I do this for? And mm. I think at least it has to start from a place like because the amount of time necessary and like love and energy or whatever for any art form requires that you love it enough to actually be able to stick with it and to be able to stick with anything long term you have to love it at like a foundational level because I realized actually the first time it was probably a week or two after I launched the podcast I had a moment I was like sweeping it was like it sticks in my mind so much because it's such a personal development moment but I remember sweeping my floor in my living room and I was so exhausted and I just I remember thinking like I don't do I want to keep doing this? You know, like, is this something I want to continue after just like all this energy of releasing the podcast for the first time? And that was like four episodes. And 
I remember having an internal moment where I went like, this one's worth it. This one's worth sticking out. And maybe it's not forever, but I sort of went like, this maybe says something about where I'm ready on dating also. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was just like, this really is like a personal development moment where I've like found something for the first time in my life as an artistic practice or really anything that I felt like actually I loved and was committed to enough to to like actually stick with it long term. But yeah, so I think everything because it just requires so much work and energy and you have to keep doing it even when you're tired and like all those moments where you'd be like, I'd rather actually just be napping. <laughs> Sometimes like it's not. And I think that's a spiritual question also. Part of that is I want to be a person who like generally, you know, a lot of my conversation on the podcast and in my writing lately has been talking about the intersections of purpose and illness and how I think so many of us do work that we don't love. And I think it's genuinely killing us. I think it's giving us all kinds of diseases and illness in different ways. And so I want to be someone who generally like operates more and more in my life out of a place of flow and feeling like I'm trusting the universe and I'm not doing what I normally do, which I'm learning as like a apparently an Enneagram for self-preservation slash long-suffering Enneagram type that generally I think I try to find love through proving that I can stick through something even when it's terrible for a really long time. And so part of me is just like also overly controlling of my time and energy and whatever and planning and doing all those things. And part of me is like just really trying to let go and trust more. So when I start getting now into places where I'm like, ooh, this feels like I'm pushing, like I'm pushing so hard to get this edit out of this podcast this week. It's really hard for me to decipher between whether or not that's actually violating some sort of like spiritual value that I have and I'm distrusting the universe to provide what I need or if like this is just part part of what it means to be a creative is to like do it even when it isn't always fun how okay I'm gonna hit pause there <clears throat> and then I'm gonna circle right back to that because I firstly I want to introduce you <laughs> oh, great <laughs> you're such an amazing creative and our paths serendipitously although I don't believe in coincidence crossed at a creative space in Denver that is no longer and we went you know kind of back and forth and can we work with each other and can we create something together and can we collaborate together and then you reached out you have this amazing podcast that is one of my most favorite benches to do on my long drives and long hikes. And I ha I wasn't interviewing on my podcast. And I think, I mean, for me, it felt kind of out of nowhere, but also like I had said to the universe, I'm going to start doing interviews. Brandy is definitely on my list. And then you reached out and said, I think we, I think, I think you should interview me. And I was like, oh my God, I do too. <laughs> so <laughs> I was so excited yeah. and I can't wait to share with all of you who Brandy is. And Brandy makes a living out of making connections, science and art, fermenting and theology, permaculture and social movements, even neuroscience and dance. If creativity is the ability to connect the seemingly unconnectable, that is the art she practices. In love with the space between things, the intersections and the paradoxes, she's constantly looking for what insights can be gained when we mash the unexpected together. These days, she does that by running a podcast and writing a newsletter, both under the name This Plus That, where she is interviewing guests like authors David Epstein, an amazing episode, Charles Eisenstein, which came out today and I cannot wait to listen, and well-known artists like Ashley Eliza Williams and Tyler Thrasher, who you've turned me on to and I'm like <laughs> obsessed with them and now following everything they do. Incredible. 
So when Brandy is not working on her podcast or her newsletter, you can find her obsessing over great food and fermenting everything in sight. So thank you so much, Brandy. Firstly, amazing. Secondly, fermenting everything in sight. <laughs> I think that is uh, both proverbially and literally quite true. Yeah. So we were just... Also, like, feels like the modern day version of, like, you can pickle that or whatever. Yeah. Portland, India, or put a bird on it or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It it's makes true. me... I lived in quite the share house experience in the Irish Channel of New Orleans. And because you couldn't keep anything... <laughs> anything fresh there that we would we would like pickle everything and i i am not an expert but when you would open our refrigerator it looked kind of like some turn of the century apothecary with all sorts of crazy things in jars um yep, that's, yeah that's my fridge for sure half of which could probably kill you but i assume that's <laughs> not your fridge because you're actually quite serious about fermenting and i'm pretty serious about it but we were just jamming on the artist and the creatives experience and almost this like love-hate relationship that can very very realistically exist in your day-to-day and I was going to ask if you'd ever read Stephen Pressfield's The Artist's Journey. Sorry I've read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron and Mm -hmm. I've read Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art but I've not read The Artist's Journey. Is that something else? It is something else. It's a super quick read. It's like a very satiric take on the hero's journey Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, but basically that like an artist, every single thing they create goes through the hero's journey. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And I mean, especially from his POV, it's just it's yes, like you 100 percent have to die and, you know, go through a thousand tragedies and friends and foes and walk down false paths until you get to the end, at which point you just look up and realize, you know, there's a higher mountain to climb on the other side of it. Right. But I, I recommend that to any creative because it, and, and he jokes, it's not only every project you take on, but literally every day that you live is <laughs> essentially. Yeah, no, it's so journey. true. I, f- I feel that so hard today, for sure. Okay, well, then I'm just going to start with what do you consider your real job? <laughs> You know, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind, and it's so fitting for this conversation, is quite simply to be connected to source. Mm. And I've said this before to other people, I think more privately and maybe in one public conversation, but I think maybe actually in one of my podcast interviews, you know, in talking with other creative friends, like it's often that we're sort of we get to a point where we're like, but what if I run out of things to say? Like, what or what if I like what if my voice doesn't matter? Or like, you know, some of those things, but as a creative, what if I run out of ideas sort of thing? It's just a fear that at some point the ideas will go away. And there's a train that may be about to come by. So just FYI, if I pause or it's too loud, just let me know. I just Um, interviewed someone in New Orleans on Super Sunday and I was like, it's going to be loud, guys. (laughs) There's there's nothing we're doing about this. It's part of why I'm leaving this apartment. I'm woken up every morning between 1.30 and 3.30 a.m. by a massive train that runs Mm. about 25 yards from my head. Anyway, so, yeah, just a fear that the the ideas will run out. And I think at some point not long after I launched the podcast, I got to a point where I was like, I just realized, and part of this was a sort of relatively new morning routine I had adopted in the last several months before the podcast. And Part of that is like deeply about making sure that I'm being connected to source. But I just sort of realized like as long as I'm sort of in that spiritual place and I'm doing things that nourish and feed me and really that's what I mean by being connected to source. It doesn't for me necessarily look like it's only just like 
praying or reading texts or something like uh, no matter what sort of faith tradition you come from, it's more about like source for me is anything that makes me feel most alive. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is like if I'm feeding myself, if I'm reading things that are inspiring me, if I'm doing things that are inspiring to me, if I'm also like meditating and listening and trying to be a channel for that, like my job is really mostly to be connected to that because when I am the, <laughs> this is my cat, when I am the ideas flow through. So I don't, because I think that generally the universe is an infinitely creative place, I have no reason to believe that the creative ideas will end at any point. And really part of why I was so into this idea of the podcast is that it was like a narrow sort of lens, but it was infinitely creative in the sense that like I will never run out of topic possibilities. And also like my real love like you said in my bio is making connections between things and there's just like an infinite amount of connections to be made and insights to be gained from those connections so I feel like I sort of set myself up for being infinitely sort of tied to that but like really I feel like in a practical way every day my job is to as much as possible be connected to that whether or not that always pays me is a different thing so we can talk about what a job quote unquote actually is but i feel like on a spiritual level my job is just to be connected to whatever it is that makes me most alive well i 100 percent want to get into the practicality of that that's something that i love to explore is the tactile actions and activities we can implement in our day-to-day to call in that source energy. And thank you also for just like going balls out with source, because that's another thing I'm really trying to normalize. And I probably don't need to continue saying this in every interview that I do. I do this too. That's the whole reason I'm having these conversations is I'm trying to explore the intersection of spirituality and our 3D day-to-day work and life. And I have so much about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so because I don't think you and I even connected on this level until very recently, but we've been talking for, I mean, over a year now. And it's I have that moment with almost everybody. They're like, oh, my God, you're in you're in the woo. And it's like, yeah, pretty, pretty hardcore. Like you should hear some of the conversations like my galactic priestesses and I have. And it's you know, it's so funny because I worked in the music for a long time. I probably also don't need to continue repeating myself on that level. But the most successful, and I shouldn't just say artists because it's a whole it's a whole family, a whole collective. They've all come up together. They're recognizable household names at this point. And, you know, back in the day, we used to talk about the the greater groove and that that groove. And I think you kind of, you know, it's like source energy, but being able to tap into that creative muse and call her in whenever we need. And I don't, are you a fan of Elizabeth Gilbert? Yeah, it's, I mean, I explain Elizabeth Gilbert the way you explain, and I also do, though anytime I mention source, so that I'm like, I feel sort of compelled to give some sort of preface about my love of Elizabeth Gilbert. But I also think that a lot of that is gendered. Like, I think if someone else who wasn't female had written about what Elizabeth Gilbert did, we would find it just like, you know, more like Stephen Pressfield. We just think it was like, creative and beautiful and whatever. And we wouldn't think it was like cheesy or terrible. And maybe also she has some things about whiteness that are like, sure, she got paid a book deal to, I don't know, travel the world or whatever. But my point is, I have complex feelings about Elizabeth Gilbert. But generally, yes, I'm a fan. 
Me too. I definitely, I yeah, I'm, I have very mixed feelings about her, but obviously I'm alluding to big magic because she talks about that concept that like there, these ideas are floating around and mm-hmm. I mean, she goes further and further into it, but yeah, I mean, I love how your job, your real job is to create that connection to what nourishes you, what feeds you, what inspires you. Yeah. And I think you've already answered the question, you know, do you consider yourself spiritual? When did that, when did you make the shift from maybe no? I mean, I don't know if that's something that's always, maybe I should start there. What's your origin story, Brandon, in terms of your spirituality and work? Yeah, I think to actually like sort of do a short answer to whether or not I consider myself spiritual, Mm -hmm. I once attended something where someone had us as a group, like sort of pair up and ask each other, what's something that you wish someone would ask you about? I'm sure you resonate with this since it sounds like a lot of people don't actually know that you're woo, is that I think the deepest, chorus part of who I am actually has always been a mystic. And so I think it's always been there to some degree and I've practiced it in different ways, of course, over time, but I grew up in the South and in Dallas and and some people won't consider Texas the South, but regardless, I grew up in the South. <laughs> you're kidding. Yes. One second. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you're good. Okay. He's like, I don't know if you know cats at all, but he's in one of those phases where he's like, I'm meowing at ghosts. Like he's just looking up at the ceiling, meowing at nothing. And you're like, oh, cool. Okay. I think Um, cats are like alien transponders that are on this earth to spy on us and report back to the home planet so that when the takeover happens, their intel is on point. It's yeah, Uh, it's really possible. Yeah, it's really possible. And that's why I like when they're like knocking shit off a table, like it's just the aliens kind of messing with you. But there's a delay because, you know, they're light years away. And so it's it always feels a little apropos when it or when they bite you out of nowhere it's just the aliens messing with you yeah totally that's a very scientific theory based on lots of research and facts just totally totally yeah yeah so i was just sort of swimming in christianity and christian culture and yeah i had an alcoholic um step parent and so yeah just a bit of a you know rough childhood but i wouldn't say that it's like necessarily much more traumatic than most of us experience but By the time I was in high school, I met some folks who were church people. And so I wound up going to church sort of reluctantly in sort of late high school or middle to late high school. And these people did feel like aliens to me. They were like in high school, they were the most authentic, felt like the most connected to something that seemed meaningful, just like beautiful humans. And everyone else around me, you know, in high school was just like drinking and partying and sleeping around. And there was something about them that just like really compelled me. And so I started going to church. And then, yeah, I I went, I ended up upsetting my parents a lot. I shifted from a lifetime of thinking I was going to go to the University of Texas for college. And I went I decided to go to a small Bible school in Arkansas, at which point I was introduced to what I would now call like fundamental evangelicalism. And these people, like in a lot of ways, not everyone there, but like a lot of leadership seemed like the kind of Christianity that I very much don't sit super well with these days. But yeah, I had a great experience, at least with like the people that I was friends with there. And I don't know, then I dated a youth pastor right out of college. And I don't know, it was just sort of like, in and around church things for a lot of time until I came out when I was 27, at which point I really had to contend with what I'd been taught about queerness and faith and whether or not I could hold those two things simultaneously. And that was like a 10-year project to really unravel the pieces that I felt like actually weren't true. 
and the parts that I still wanted to maintain about, again, like what felt like it had always been the most core part of who I was. And so I think like a lot of queer folks who have been in church settings and then eventually came out and have felt rejected in those those arenas that in a lot of ways I've um, sort of found alternatives mm-hmm. that look like, you know, anything yeah. from tarot to, I don't know, just to me these days also, I think if I would explain where I've come to, it's you were talking about the practical material ways that we implement spirituality. And, you know, when I read... So one of my interview guests on the podcast was Andreas Weber. And when I read Mm -hmm. Matter, Desire, and Erotic Ecology, which is one of his books, is the first place I really heard someone talk about re-sacralizing matter. That like basically the idea that everything is more or less alive. And that really not only spoke to my experience of being in the world, but I think everything I had sort of like newly stumbled into about spirituality And feeling in Christianity, I think there's a long history of separating matter and spirit. And so I had actually come to see that, like, the work I do is a spiritual act and the art I create and the friendships I have and the books I read and my bed. Like, because at some point I realized that, like, the literal materials I choose in my world are a spiritual choice and not only spiritual in that, like, They do or do not create more aliveness on the planet in terms of whether or not my food is actually grown by people who are getting like living wages or whether or not that food makes me more or less sick. But also that like physically, I think part of what's so fascinating about Andreas's work is that because he's a biologist, he comes from a place where he goes like, we are literally becoming everything at all times. I'm becoming the bed I sleep in. I'm becoming the food I eat. I'm becoming the art I create. And so literally physical material stuff is so entwined in this erotic relationship with us that like is constantly affecting who we are becoming at a material level. And so the separation that we have currently between art and science or spirit and material, to me, the longer I sort of go at this, the more I realize that there is actually no separation. And so that's sort of a long rant. I don't know if I answered your original question. No, you absolutely answered the question. And I want to just dig a little bit deeper because so many of us, let me rephrase, so many people who have experienced a fairly dogmatic organized religion, I think that not only is it the organized religion that has like kind of given spirituality a bad name, but then especially people who have been brought up in that particular perspective feel very antagonistic towards their spirituality. Yeah. So Was there a process for you or just, I mean, I'm assuming that obviously it was a period of time, but where you kind of reclaimed your spirituality as your own and what did that look like? Mm. Yeah, that's a really great question because that's so real that like, I mean, every time I talk about woo stuff and, you know, like I have complex feelings about even calling it woo because it feels like we're that we're not like fully claiming the power of it. And it's no 100. It's very disrespectful. Yeah, like like we're kind of making fun yeah. of it, I think, to make it OK. And you know what? <laughs> I just have to add this as yeah. well. I think I have a friend who went to your college who is literally an ex-evangelical coach and so helps people <laughs> in this. So like. 
oh we're, we're playing with all things all yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, i'm gonna ask after if you know her but <laughs> but yeah i every time so every time i talk and well i also think that there's like a race thing there like i don't know like so many so many cultures that aren't white have had long histories of ancient spiritual traditions and calling it woo is like a I don't know. Yeah. So there's there's a lot there. But like, regardless, it's real to me. Like every time I talk about spiritual things and I feel the need to like preface all over the place, which, by the way, Asia Dorsey, who's also one of my interview guests who talks about the intersections of microbes plus spirituality, is a scientist. Like she also comes from a biology background and got into mm -hmm. fermentation. She was my fermentation mentor. And at some point talks about how like she just like no longer is going to suffer having to explain herself to everybody everywhere she goes. And she's just going to claim both like ends of the spectrum fully. And, you know, has really helped me sort of lean into that more, too. But regardless, I think it's so real. Like what I say often when I'm this long explanation <laughs> is that like when I talk about it, I have a hard time not going like you have every reason to be antagonistic. Like I'm not judging anyone who's still there. And I still hold a lot of those feelings. And actually, I feel like the point of the podcast in a lot of ways has become about questioning fundamentalism, that like you can be both things at once. And you're not necessarily always on one, like one category or in one category. But so I think in terms of my history and my contending with that and my own life and navigating it, I definitely don't think there was any one particular moment. I think I have had people that I follow that have really continued to like allow me to grapple with those things and we're enough on the sort of like, I don't want to call them like central end of a spectrum in terms of religion or, you know, anti-religion or something. But I don't know. I just I guess like I've always just really appreciated people like the people I follow in the world always have been people who have been like, I don't know. Like I'm I'm literally just like sharing my experience and my questions. And that's so real for me today because I released a podcast with Charles Eisenstein, like you said. And, you know, like I had someone unfollow me immediately. And I don't know if that's like like he has sort of alternative opinions about vaccines. And that is just like real present right now, literally this week, because everyone is leaving Spotify because of Joe Rogan conversations or whatever. But like the people that I've really respected have been people who have really just went, I don't like my answer is I don't know. I'm telling you my experience. And I think that's part of it, it's definitely a value of how I write. Like when I write or when I do the podcast, my entire like sort of foundational stance is part of why I'm doing it and sort of a memoir first person thing instead of like telling people what they should believe is because I'm just sharing my experience and I hope you see something in it that resonates with you and you can form your own opinions. But like at a foundational level, I'm not totally sure about mostly anything. I actually think from a creative level, I think probably to answer your question a bit more, I genuinely don't think it was actually, I guess I would say there are maybe three or four phases. I grew up not being in religion. Then I got into religion, but I was always sort of like a middle ground person. And then meaning like I could sort of hold a lot of differing opinions. And then when I came out and I was contending with faith, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't doing any of those things anymore. Like I had sort of removed myself, but I was still holding on to what I felt like was really like sacred conversation and being with people who like inspired me spiritually and all of those things. And I felt like I could claim both queerness and spirituality. And I don't think it was until actually literally releasing the podcast in mid or it was in September 2021 that it was the first time I had released my own real like stamp, like this is my art. I'm putting it out in the world. I had done art before, you know, in far less public ways and far less dedicated than this had required. And so this felt like the first time in by the time I had reached 40 that I had like really put out something that was like my artistic voice. And when I did that, it was like for the first time, 
what I had learned in like Christian culture, like the Bible became more real than I had ever experienced it inside of Christianity. (laughs) It's so difficult for me to even say, especially in a public setting, because it's hard to not say that without six weeks of context. When we talk about trusting the universe or whatever, as an example, in woo culture, that like there are things from the Bible that are like, why would you feel like you have to worry about anything? Like God takes care of like every blade of grass and every bird of the air. And like, I don't know, there's just like all these lines that all of a sudden sort of came rushing back to me. And it felt like a moment when for the first time, my queerness, my early upbringing, my family history and traditions and like Christianity as I had experienced it, but in this radically new way, And all of these things I believe about, I don't know, mostly that I feel like come from like left leaning culture, like progressive culture about taking care of people and mutual aid and all that stuff in my queerness that I had sort of learned in community organizing. It was like for the first time, all of it integrated into one. And I wasn't sort of holding them separately where I felt like actually for the first time I fully claimed the I wouldn't ever say ever say that I'm a Christian, but I It's like someone I follow, and forgive me, I'm sort of going on like a real ramble here, but like someone I have followed for a really long time in spiritual stuff sort of talks a lot about claiming truth wherever you go. And like I felt, oh, and and also just the idea that like sometimes when we grow up in spiritual traditions, it's the language we know. And so me using a language that I know doesn't mean that it's the only language I think is true. But it is familiar to me. And so it's easiest for me to sort of go like, well, this is this is how I know to explain the world because I grew up in this tradition. So I don't know. It's the first time I actually like really uncomfortably feel like I'm navigating, embracing more of that and talking about it more and still also fully being someone who like says, I don't know, and also believes in mutual aid and taking care of each other and has some issues with capitalism and all those things. Right. <laughs> well, it's Firstly, thank you. That was fascinating. Fascinating rambles. Always welcome. I have like a thousand million things to say about it, so I'm going to try and be succinct. But art to me is that synergy of of taking all of the different pieces and when you put them together, they create something unpredictable. Right. And I think anytime you birth something into the world and without actually having physically done that, I can understand how, I mean, I having worked with artists for my entire career, Every creative, I say product for lack of a better term, but every creative thing they create and put out there feels like a birth. And it is incredibly vulnerable and incredibly scary because once you put it out there, it's no longer yours. And the second, again, terminology I use very purposefully, but it's triggering. We know when when your audience consumes it, it's now theirs. And they have opinions and they have stories. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you said... The question fundamentalism. And we can be, I don't know if it's human nature or just simply trendy, or it's this desire for certainty and for security that we can kind of turn anything into this fundamentalist perspective. And whether it's religion or science, I mean, science only became real trendy because data and proof, again, certainty and evidence Mm -hmm. simply became trendy. And I was, not to get into my own stuff too much, but I was brought up anti-theist. I had half of my family murdered in the Holocaust, the other half of my family in a fairly rigid form of Christianity with, you know, half of my family members not even being able to participate because of their sexual preferences or Mm. progressive lifestyles. And so 
I was brought up in, you know, very science forward. If there isn't proof, it's completely bullshit. And, you know, that, which is why I kind of am like taking back the woo. I mean, I, I got into an argument with my father and his best friend about, you know, faith is for idiots mm. very recently. And <laughs> what I will say is my turning point was like 15 years <laughs> like yoga is cool to like I can yeah astral travel <laughs> and my life is much happier and much more fulfilling and my work whereas I always felt like I was in service of art and the artists that I worked for now I get to be a creator and that I'm going to kind of use as a segue and you mentioned this before sort of your routine and even like I kind of want to approach this from this you also talked about the the fear that maybe the ideas will run out and then confronting that and being like no when you're exploring these various intersections they're literally limitless mm -hmm. but how do you kind of pull in I mean because that's I think something that a lot of creatives struggle with is the overwhelm is the endless mm -hmm. opportunity are the yeah. numerous ideas available how do you kind of approach this is I should I need to work on like my two-part questions because I'm like here's 18 questions go ahead and answer this but <laughs> I do this in terms of like you know taking the endless opportunity and pulling it into your day-to-day -day and then having a routine or maybe you have a different word for it but what does kind of your creative process on a day-to-day -day basis look like yeah great questions I, I just quickly to sort of briefly comment on part of what you said in response to the last thing is I had a my last therapist like was with me when I was in the process of launching the podcast and it was like getting really close to launch and she was like really cherish this moment as a creative because it's the last time it will be only yours in which case it is sort of like a pregnancy like you are birthing something and when your child is still in utero it's still just you and the child but after that it gets unleashed into the world and then it becomes its own thing. And yeah, people have opinions about it and they have perceptions of it that you just like can't control. And that is really uncomfortable. And I think it's part of why I feel so compelled all the time to preface everything. And I'm trying to get away from that. But, you know, because I am someone who has probably spent more of my life than necessary overly explaining myself. And yeah, the fundamentalist bit is still really big for me today. Again, like all the stuff that's going on with Spotify and Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson and such is really present for me today and releasing a podcast with Charles and about health and all sorts of things that none of us is like totally pure. We've all made mistakes, all those things. So like all of that is like really present for me today. And it's really hard to, I think, to, to be a creative and to like actually have any sort of impact. You generally are someone who is saying something from your point of view that not everyone is going to agree with. And so a lot of my process of getting to launch and pushing play or whatever, pushing, you know, record or publish or whatever, was being like, am I ready to actually be in the arena? You know, the Brene Brown thing. Am I ready to like actually have people who have perceptions of me that actually don't feel like accurate to who I am? Do I know myself enough? Am I strong enough in my own values to like actually be able to stand firm and trust myself and know that I've done everything I can to inform myself and to have interesting conversation and to do something I'm proud of that like maybe isn't always going to say the right thing. Like, but do I feel comfortable, especially in this current culture, to do that? Knowing that I was talking to a friend this morning after releasing it because I was in a moment of panic because I was like, do I want to do this? Like, do I? Because signing up for content 
that really is in a lot of ways just about how we can turn anything into fundamentalist thought means that I will spend a lot of my time speaking about things that could lead to people unfollowing or not believing or keeping me out of community. And in queer culture, I experienced that so much in my early queerness that like it was at least an early version of what you see now inside of queer and organizing community that like couldn't sustain any differing opinions or any mistakes. And I'm not even talking harm. I'm talking like minor mistakes. Like we would just exile each other out of connection. And so I'm I'm just grappling with that a lot. And I I think the spiritual part and getting to your question about routine is part of why that is so that routine is so necessary. Well, and because, I'm gonna sorry, I'm gonna interrupt. Yeah, you interrupt quickly me because I I think there's something in admitting the the fear, and I look at it in this. It's like creating balance. It's almost like shifting your focus. We're so used to just trying to like positive away everything and like it's gonna be fine. And I think it comes from like the hustle harder and the capitalist colonialist perspective of like, well, we can just make this work. Right. I do think in, I do think there's value kind of in the over explaining. And as you step into uncomfortable places, places that scare you, almost saying out loud, like I'm scared can yeah. release that energy. So yeah. I, I think it's different. Can I, I can a hundred percent relate to this and, and I might, I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not suggesting this is what you're doing, but I will often find myself over explaining or repeating myself and then saying that I am over explaining and repeating because I want to make it clear this isn't coming from a place of overpowering or right. um, trying to impress. It's actually coming from my own insecurities, yeah. but yeah. In doing that and recognizing it like it does let it go. So it's it gives uh, permission to be there too, you know, yeah. to, to not be and it. It, it just kind of like gets the gross part out of the way and then you can get on with whatever it is yeah. you're actually trying yeah. to talk about. So I, yeah, I can, I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to say that. So <laughs> I interrupted you. But and I mean, and that's like, how do I nourish myself that like routine in myself? I, I, you know, if you listen to some of even my earlier episodes, I say often, like I'm repeating myself or I talk about this a lot. Right. Or if you don't want to listen to this, hit pause, like, or hit stop or no one's yeah. forcing you to do it. So it's very unfortunate that we've gotten to a place where if someone puts out a podcast or has an opinion, especially online, like you're not even in an actual conversation with them. Right. But that we just it's like the cancel culture thing. And we've gotten so uncomfortable with disagreeing with each other that we're physically moving to locations where we can surround ourselves with our own opinions. And it's it's a really interesting time to be alive. I will say. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. So hard. Yeah. I was just talking about it with my friends earlier today and texting back and forth. And we were like, it's so hard because on the other hand, it's like as a podcaster, it's not like I want to spend all of my time inviting on people like to talk with that. I genuinely know I don't agree with or mm. like to spend my time and energy on. It's just a really hard time to actually one thing I think is so relevant to this, like the purpose of your podcast is that like with my friend Julianne this morning when we were talking about sort of cancel culture and fear and all those things that I was just sort of going, it, it feels hard because it feels like as creatives, we're in a place where it's like I can either release my work and do stuff that's meaningful to me and risk being cut out of community and losing connection. Or I can settle and do something that like means that I never have any sort of public impact and I stay quiet and I don't do work that's meaningful to me and I make a living and I just sort of call it a day. 
And I know that's not the only like that's not a real binary, but sometimes it Mm -hmm. sort of feels like that's where we're at is that it's like I can do my work and it will have impact. But it means that I also, on the other hand, I'm actually going to lose a lot of people. And I don't think everyone is in that place as a creative, but I don't know. Well, no, I'm going to circle like it's this is kind of circles back to the beginning of our conversation with when you're creating your art. And and again, working with musicians and even as my career kind of evolved with visual artists as well. They knew the pieces they were creating that would sell. Like they knew what was going on the gallery wall and what was just going to be something that was in their collection in their studio, or they knew the song that was going on the radio. And then they knew the songs that they were writing that were not going to go on the record, let alone like the B-side. And they started to be able to perceive their work in varying degrees of expression and art. Yeah. And sometimes the pieces that were the biggest play were not ever going to see the light of day. But I think that also when you get into that prolific space where you are creating purely for the sake of creation, it doesn't all have to go out. But I think to your point, if you want to create something that provokes thought and emotion and actually asks your audience, your consumer to have an opinion, there is a polarizing effect. And that's not only okay, obviously, but that's kind of the point. the point. Yeah. And that's where, like, I, after I left music, I couldn't watch a music documentary for a really long time mm. because you see these artists, like, in retrospect of these massive careers justify these songs where when I was watching these songs being written, like, they're telling someone else's story or they're writing it quite literally on the back of a cocktail napkin after a few beverages on the tour bus or whatever. And it's like all of this meaning gets attributed to this product to this piece Mm -hmm. after the fact and and again i think that's the whole point i think we should provoke thought and i think we should provoke opinion but that is also uncomfortable and unpredictable yeah and we're not really good at any of those things i don't know if we've ever been but it feels like we're really bad at it now (laughs) yeah yeah and i i think i'm i mean again i don't know if this is like a personality thing but i'm an infj also and so like we're just i think generally people who tend to be and also a libra so i tend to be just like very concerned with justice i'm like why what am i spending my energy on if it's not actually creating change because i see people are dying we live in a world and we probably have always lived in a world but there are serious consequences and there are serious things going on and there's mm. um, big stuff that needs changing and i'm like i just don't know what i would be doing with my art i mean even i think it's tony morrison who has some sort of quote that's like all all art is inherently political. Like if you're if you're yeah. denying that fact, you're either not speaking about it, meaning that it's apolitical, so it's political in the first place because you're actively not talking about things that are going on, mm-hmm. or you're making art that's about things that are going on. Well, it goes back to that: does art drive culture or culture drive art? And I'm I'm on the art drives culture side of that fence, but yeah, but I mean, I think yeah, to the point of this plus that, I really think it's both because the art I create is inherently contextual in like the world I live in. So the culture does affect my art, but I'm someone who like really can't let go of spending my time on things that I think are important. And so naturally, I think I'm someone who like wants to create things in the world who that like provoke thought and emotion and and those things. But I think I've entirely skipped your question about like what my actual. No, no, no. You were getting like you just segue. That's why I like went into Google like, okay. so then how, how do you how do you do that? How do you create? Yeah. On an ideal day, which I hope is more often than not, but has not been recently, just because I've been in a period of intense stress and moving and everything. But on most days, I would say I wake up fairly early. Someone who wakes up at like 6 a.m. in my sort of ideal time. And then 
Yeah, I started adopting a practice that's a lot like morning pages. And previously, I was actually doing the full sort of three pages that Julia Cameron recommends. And I've gotten down to just like I use a a journal called the Best Self Journal, and I just use the right side of the page, if anyone's familiar with those journals, to write out stuff that's happening for me or whatever I need to get out of my head or like, I don't know, affirmations if I'm feeling like I need a little bit of an extra boost. So just fill a page of that. And then let's see, after that, I think part of really actually what brought the podcast on was which again is sort of speaking to how your routine can lead to creative thought is I have a friend who is going through what basically amounts to a divorce. She was with someone for four years and they had a child together and they were separating and she'd been really for the first time in a while, just like really focusing on herself and like nourishing herself and taking care of herself and not like giving all of her energy to her child and her partner or whatever. And she was teaching me a lot and around just like the beauty of indulging in yourself in like a real serious way. And part of what felt like an indulgence for me was to actually believe that I was worth giving an hour of pleasure of like reading time in the morning. And so I started like after I journal, I read. And again, ideally, that's somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour. And then I get ready, this sort of standard, like, get dressed and all those things. And then after that, before I eat, I have uh, sort of a period of what I would call, like, the most obviously spiritual time, which is I listen to a few songs over and over again, basically every morning. And those are these songs get me in the space. And so I listen to those every morning. And I also started this practice. I haven't done it in a while, actually, because, again, my life has been sort of really abnormal lately. But what I consider joy practice, I had been reading a lot about how our bodies literally and our trauma responses are like only so capable of experiencing so much joy. Like the, the extent of joy we've experienced is the height of joy we can experience sort of thing is sort of what I was getting from a lot of like this reading on trauma and psychology. And so I started doing what I called joy practice, where it was like, I'm actually going to in my body practice what it would be like to experience things. So it was like vision boarding sort of or like visioning that you hear like a lot of woo people talk about. And but instead of just like sitting on a couch with like my legs crossed and just envisioning myself speaking to Oprah or something, I listen to music and then I like literally jump up and down and scream and like run around my house like the my biggest, most amazing goal has just happened. And like that actually feels like it somatically gets it into my body and helps my cellular like DNA start to learn what it would be like to actually be more happy and joyful. And so I do that. And then after do you know what your biggest, craziest, the thing that you're celebrating? Do you do you know what that is? <laughs> That's a really great question. Originally, it was actually just guests I really wanted on the show. So oh, okay. it would like be me imagining myself like talking to David Epstein and Andreas mm -hmm. and those folks. And it happened. Uh, and it happened, yes. And and I know Charles Eisenstein. I mean, yes. I've been waiting for you to get that guy on your phone. Yes. I cannot Trust believe. Me. Yeah. I'm so like, oh, wait, I'm just having a moment right now where I'm realizing that podcast came out on the day that I am interviewing you. Like, yes. that's fucking crazy and awesome. Yeah, that's super Sorry. fun. Go on. <laughs> yeah. And for anybody who is listening to this Sacred Economy Yes, you just, you can't, you're not allowed to good. listen to this anymore until you read that book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So originally it was just like envisioning sort of who I wanted to be on the show or like who would invite me to interview like you have right now. Right. Like so getting to talk with Brene Brown or like some of these people like mm -hmm. Lynn and Doyle or like all these people that I sort of fantasizes about being at that level of having made it or talking to people that have really mattered to you sort of thing. So, yeah, that was that was it. And generally because for me, I'm like. 
maybe in a different direction. Sometimes what I'm thinking about is like just the feeling of sincere gratitude of what it would be to never have to work and doing something else I don't love ever again. Mm. And so like the idea that I might actually get to live the rest of my life creating this content that I really care about inspires such a, like even now, like that just gave me goosebumps. It gives me like actually such a somatic experience of gratitude that that's actually the space I'm trying to get to. And so sometimes I sort of just envision what it would be like to actually never have to do shit work again and or just like the opposite of that to get to do things that I really care about for the rest of my life and like the idea that people might actually pay me money to support me to make this content is just like shocking I mean I'm that person also who's like trying to really value that like maybe if only three people right now give me five dollars a month on a repeating basis for my content like that's a fucking miracle man someone gave me like a twenty dollar tip the other day who's a total stranger and the moment where you like create content that like a stranger is willing to like support your work is just such a like moment of deep gratitude of being like i don't need i mean of course i want to get to a place where it's like income sustaining i don't need thousands of fans to feel like one person giving me a tip is just a total miracle because that's me getting to create what i care about and someone actually loves it enough who's not like just a friend that i've told should listen to my shit someone who's a total stranger is actually supporting my me financially and that that is just so incredible after that i do also like sort of what i call kind of like spoken prayer julia cameron also has a bit in the artist way where she talks about writing out a prayer and so a long time ago when I read it or like a year and a half ago or something, I wrote out a prayer that I read every morning it's sitting to my left right now as just my way of sort of I, I find um, I actually said in an interview with someone yesterday that like uh, someone here locally in Denver once said to me in a workshop that words are prayer. And I find that to be so powerful that like I think there's something really magical and I actually think it's probably scientific, even though I can't speak to it, um, about saying things out loud and what happens in the universe when you speak things out loud. And so, yeah, I read something out loud and it's sort of like my creative prayer. And then when I have a lot of extra time, which is not often, I also read a sort of a vision, like I'm reading out loud the future thing I want to happen, which is what like a detailed version of what it would look like to get interviewed by Brene. <laughs> and then I read a couple of quotes. One is also from The Artist's Way and another one, like another couple of them are actually Charles Eisenstein things about, I actually think that's worthwhile to read. I'm going to read it right now. So it says, the one who bows into service as an artist to see work as sacred is to bow in service to it and thus become its instrument. More specifically and somewhat paradoxically, we become the instrument of that which we create. And there's another quote I sort of read right after that from another part of Sacred Economics where he says, in right livelihood then, I suggest that we look at the world with eyes of what opportunity is there to give and how may I best give of my gifts. Hold that intention in mind and unexpected opportunities arise. Quickly, any situation in which you are not giving your life gifts towards something that is good to you becomes intolerable. So I read that every morning right before I basically sit down to write or work on the podcast. And that, other than eating, is my morning routine. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I completely, 1,000% agree with everything you just shared, especially the words. There's actually another author, James. Oh my God, his name is going to escape me, but his Instagram handles, words are vibration. And yeah, I mean, like scientifically, if you simply think about the sound waves coming out of your mouth, you're affecting yeah. physical right. change yeah. and movement. Sound is material. out loud. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I think, you know, taking thought into physical form by creating words, I think words frame our entire perspective. So they are incredibly powerful. That whole adage, like sticks and stones will may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'd, quite false. I think some of the words that we've experienced probably left oh, much yeah. longer lasting wounds than the sticks and stones. Yeah. An actually interesting kind of 
segue. I'm going to have to come up with a different word with the fear. And you mentioned, I mean, I know you're fresh off a conversation with Charles. So the approaching everything like it's a gift, both a gift you were receiving and a gift that you were giving. I'm curious actually about the intersection of combating your own fears. And okay, here's another one of my 18 part questions. (laughs) But, you know, combating the fear combating you know not just the fear of will will these ideas keep coming but like can i pay my bills with this yeah is this work worthy of both giving and receiving that's a obviously a massive question and probably where we'll start to sort of wrap things up Um, but how do you deal with all of that how do i do this (laughs) i think that's a really part important part of this conversation because obviously i think art and in our worlds has to affect so much or is affected so much by privilege. And that's everything from class and race and gender and all those things. But also the privilege of even being allowed to create and be a unique individual being. I think 100% to what you're saying, but there's so many, and I actually, you said this, and I think your interview with David Epstein, that like you weren't encouraged to be Right. the scientist or the mathematician that you yeah. were probably very destined to be. But there's privilege in that framing and, and upbringing as well. Yeah. So not it's. Yeah. Creative like, support. Privilege is such a. We're encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. From teachers to parents and family to. Yeah. Everything else. To economics. Yeah. To culture. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's an important part of any artistic conversation to like, um, you know, when I was going through grad school, actually, I learned it's critical theory, not critical race theory, though both are valid. But like what I loved about critical theory was that it was like as a writer that the first thing you sort of practice doing is divulging where you're coming from. So like what you're the context of where where you are situating yourself in the world. And so the fact that I'm white, the fact that I'm queer, like all of those things like really matter to sort of contextualize what I'm about to say. And I've already, I've always loved that. And so I think in a similar way, it's important to sort of talk about that because sort of, I I don't feel like I could be an honest creative and telling people to do like their purpose work in the world, which again, like is something that I've been writing about a lot recently and how it affects our health. But like, I don't think I could be honest without saying like how this has been made possible. And obviously that's 40 years of my life of like contextualizing how I've been able to make it here and make it here is such a silly phrase also, whatever make it is. But at least being able to like put... Wake up today. Yeah, put put my art out in the world. Yeah, (laughs) that I think the most sort of recent practical thing that I think is important to say is that the context of when I met you was that I had started my own business and I had been a freelance contractor for most of my life. So like I had done a lot of working for myself, but it was the first time I had created like my own like legitimate full-time business. And it was a marketing and branding advice business. And I really think it nearly killed me just because I had finally reached a point where I had spent 10 years not wanting to do that work. And mm. when I finally like actually went in on it as like a full-time business, the sort of idea was you know, if I can make enough money, like a ton of money with as little time as possible, could it buy me creative space to do what I actually care about? And so it was really fitting that I I tell this story in the first episode of my podcast, but I started having like in early January 2021, so about a year ago, I was having panic attacks in my bathroom. I was just like, I cannot do this anymore. Like I genuinely, and this was an Elizabeth Gilbert thing. I say also in the first episode of the podcast, actually, she talks about 
in one of her conversations, she's like, sometimes you don't know what next is, but what mm. you do know is not this. And mm. not this suddenly felt really clear to me, even though next was completely a loss. Like I had no idea what would be next. Mm. And the only reason I was really able to like start and then continue the business in the first place was because I was on unemployment because of the pandemic. And so I was getting not a lot of money, but it was enough to like pay all my bills. And so that was the context in which I started the business. And then when I ended the business and decided to take some time off to be like, I don't know what next is. I can't keep doing this. I had emailed all of my lists to be like, this is done. If you want to join me somewhere else, I've got this other newsletter that I haven't kept active in a long time, but you should just join me there because I'm sure I'll pick it up eventually, which is what started as a newsletter called Mixed Media, but is now the same list that I use for this plus that and was just like, I don't know, guys, like hands in the air. I'm taking some time off, but this business is over. See you later. And I took like maybe I don't remember how long it was, but it was probably somewhere like two or three weeks to just start doing that thing, which was like actually nourishing myself again for the first time instead of like, you know, being awake at two in the morning, thinking about spreadsheets of how I was going to turn a profit in the business. And I was out on a walk one day and um, listening to stuff I really cared about or not listening and just like being in nature. I don't know. And the idea for the podcast happened. And it was like one of those spiritual moments where you go like that was sort of a weird, sacred, mystical moment where an idea that feels so fitting to me that like, yes, is you had asked earlier about overwhelm. And I definitely feel that. Like I feel as a creative, it's really hard to have an endless amount of ideas. But for me, this plus that was a, a lens that gave me a narrow focus. So every week, instead of just waking up and sitting in front of a blank screen to write a newsletter, I get to go, okay, what's the combination that's really present for me right now? Like what's the this mm -hmm. and what's the that? It's a narrowing focus, even though there's an endless amount of possibility. And I needed both. I needed both the narrow focus to not feel overwhelmed and I needed the endless possibility to not feel like my life would get boring. And so it just was an idea that felt like it dropped out of the ether, like the Elizabeth Gilbert stuff. It just felt like some sort of muse plopped it into my head. And my job was to like be the one who actually moved on it instead of allowing it to go to someone else. And obviously plenty of other people talk about similar things in the world. This was just my lens. But that happened. And what was your original question? I had a point in coming back to the year and just like the like the parameters within which you're playing. It was like, like 18 part question. Yeah. So just as, it wasn't just the fear of creating and the endless ideas, but also the fear of paying your bills. Oh, right. Of... Bills. OK. Yeah. So yeah. all of that is in the context of unemployment. And so when I take time off, I'm at least somewhat financially supported. And I knew that I would have unemployment through September of 2021. And so I didn't lose at least some sort of kind of passive income until toward the end of last year when I launched the podcast, which is also part of why I launched it then, because I knew like, I have to get this thing out because where am I going to make money once I don't have unemployment? And so that's what happened. And as soon as September rolled around, I lost unemployment and I had a decision to make, which was... Basically, I am supported also, at least in small part, by I, my friends who have been graciously helping me somewhat with creating like the trailer for the podcast and that sort of thing also run a marketing agency. So I've done some consulting for them that's like here and there keeping me afloat. But I got to a point, and this is a whole other story, but health issues that I'm dealing with. I sort of talked to my friend Kyle, who's the one who runs the marketing agency. And I was like, I don't know, Nicole, like there's just a lot, I think, in doing this work. Like the first time it was really something that I cared about enough to really give my whole self to it that mm. and, and also already that I had started to experience the impact it was making. Like I had a friend 
a few months ago who is like a mutual person I've known for years, but like her best friend is someone I know more than I know her, right? And so I haven't known her super well, but she reached out on Instagram to be like, friend, I have been listening to your stuff about work and purpose and doing creative work and like all of those things and, you know, how doing other work is making us ill or whatever. And she was like, it's fucking changing me. And she was like, can I please get on a Zoom call with you? And so I got on a Zoom call with her several weeks later and she proceeded to spend like two and a half hours just gushing at me about how much it was changing her life and how she was like, if you ever need to come to LA where she lives, she was like, you have a place to stay. I've been looking for places like on your website that I can find out how to support you financially. Like, I just want to make sure that you keep doing this work because it's so necessary for me. And I was like, whoa, what? Yeah. Like, I've just been doing this podcast, like talking into a mic into the void and somehow it's having an impact. And it was the first time I was like, I truly felt like at a cellular level. And again, I know this comes with so much privilege. It's so hard and it has not been an easy process for me, regardless, even with the amount of privilege that I have. But like, it was like when you find the thing that you know has an impact on other people, spending your minutes on literally anything else is a waste of the potential you have to create change. And so I was like, I just had started to see also a sacred economics, like reading Charles was the first time that I was like, mm. every moment of my life is precious. And to think of it as anything different is a waste. Like it's actually a waste, spiritually, mentally, physically, everything. And so when you actually like find a thing that you feel like is your purpose or a calling or something that even just for the time being inspires you, that you care about enough about it starts to feel like giving your time i was just like i can't even imagine doing branding and marketing stuff anymore all of it just feels like a waste and and again like that's in such context obviously like i said i'm still doing a little bit of like marketing here and there but to sort of wrap this answer up i got to a point when i lost an employment where i talked to kyle and i was like what do i do and i had been embarking on this new health journey and it was going to require an awful lot of money and i had started to decide that it was worth me actually selling my house in order to mm -hmm. save my health sort of the phrase i used and i was like i can save my health and also maybe take the next year where i take the cash from the sale of the house which is my only major financial asset i don't have several houses i had one tiny house it's less than 600 square feet in denver which was is still hopefully in the next few weeks going to net me a decent amount of cash but i decided that i was going to take this year largely off and by that i mean i wasn't going to do a lot of work that was anything other than creating my content with the hopes that by the end of this year that I actually might find it to be financially supportive or like income generating in a real way. And, you know, when I was really battling that over with Kyle, there were two things like one, the distance between the day I lost unemployment and when I would actually have the cash for the house, because that's like a five month runway. And I, I was sort of like, I would, I will literally get down to almost zero in all bank accounts I have in order to do that. And Kyle was like, that's an entrepreneurial choice. Like that's how entrepreneurs mm -hmm. work. Is it like mm -hmm. what you talk about is like, what runway do you have before you hit zero? And if you can make it to the day after, you know, like to the distance, like the day when I would actually have the cash in hand, then is it worth it? And that was one question for me. And would I be willing to sort of sit with the stress and discomfort of like draining all of my bank accounts in order to do this? And number two, you know, his sort of going like, is it worth it, Brandy? Would you rather spend the next year making sure you make enough money consistently and doing work that you don't really care about and like usual, not having a ton of energy to do work you really do care about? Or would you rather like take some time off and some space and heal and really take care of yourself and also like invest in doing this other work that you want? Because 
his take, because he's also a Charles fan and knows Charles personally, there is nothing more important in the world than basically being in a space in which what you do is out of a spirit of a gift. Because when you operate as a what you are giving the world is something that it feels like a gift to give and it feels like a gift that other people receive, then the absolute most important thing you can do is be personally, like I said, sort of at the beginning, like my answer is my job is to be connected to source. And that's because the more I actually operate out of sincere, overwhelming gratitude that I get to do this, my writing is tapping into that. The podcast is tapping into that. When people hear it, people feel that. And when they feel that gratitude, they are so giving to you in return. And the feeling of being on that Zoom call with my friend when she was like, I would support you, I would house you, I would give you money, I would do all these things, and I would do it because I want what you love to do in the world to be something you keep doing because it's giving me such a gift in my life is so fucking overwhelming, Nicole, that I was like, this is magic. I would actually get paid to do shit that I love. And in return, it would actually impact other people. And I would keep doing it and maybe even would be a win-win-win because they would be inspired to do the things that they love to do. That is such a spirit of living in gratitude and in the gift that like I have found that to only be reciprocal and like never ending and sort of a constant feedback loop. And so Kyle was like, whatever it takes for you to be in that space seems to me like actually the best financial choice, because even though it seems like in the short term, you're going to lose a lot of money. You know, I'm, I'm selling my house and I'm spending a, a lot on health and like living over the next year so I can invest in continuing to do this work I care about. He was like, my sense is that like, again, in an entrepreneurial, he's like, when you think about venture capital, like venture capitalists look at founders and entrepreneurs of businesses and they go like, I'm betting on the entrepreneur. And your job right now, Brandy, it sounds like is to like bet on yourself. So like, even though you might be investing, quote unquote, a lot of money and it seems like you're losing it on the other end of that, like. You might make more money than you've ever thought was possible because what you'll be doing is actually giving your gift to people who are excited to receive it and to support you because you've been doing it. And as much as like I still as a creative am really like reticent to believe that fully because we live under capitalism and all these things that are like tell us otherwise. I actually think that's the true nature of the universe. Andreas's work, again, to sort of come back to that, the idea of aliveness. I think that science is telling us more and more that everything is bent toward more aliveness. It is constantly trying to become more and more alive. And death is part of that system, but aliveness is really the like nature, the fundamental nature of the universe is more and more life. And if I am made more alive in doing this work and that work makes other people more alive, I actually think I'm tapping into something that is the deepest, most sacred thing that the universe operates on top of, even though the story that we're told every day sounds like something totally different. I think I've just been talking for 10 minutes, though, so you can definitely interrupt me. <laughs> but it was epic. It was so epic. And I think every single person listening to this needs to hear those words. I think in, when I write up the description, I'm going to be like, just skip to one, minute 108. <laughs> ET Dubs is where that all started, which is also not a coincidence, but so relevant, so true. I can relate to every single word. And as someone who's been betting on myself for t 20 years now, I've literally been saying for 20 years, well, if it's like this in six months, I'm not going to be able to keep it up. <laughs> like this isn't sustainable. Right. And I finally only like a couple of years ago, I said it to a very old friend of mine and they were like, you've literally said that the whole time I've known you and we've known each other now for nine years. And I was like, yeah, okay, maybe I can throw that whole, that one out the window. But also this idea that 
I would, I would do it for free, you know, and it's, it's the work that keeps you up at night in, in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> the ideas that wake you up and don't let you go back to sleep or don't go away. Yeah. So, I mean, also I am uh, inviting you to be interviewed in a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. As a follow up. <laughs> because I mean, and I think that I don't even want to like share my thoughts on everything you just shared because it was so powerful and so profound. But what I will also say is that it gets to be a journey. And I think one of the things that freezes people up is I have to figure out what my art is or what I'm creating or how I'm putting it out into the world forever. And it's like, no, I mean, it's a bet. And you're going to figure out sooner than later if you won or if you're going to play again, fold them, try something else, get into an entirely different game. And that's what I love about creativity and also where I'm having a lot of fun especially with like online creations and content as it does feel a hell of a lot less permanent and forever than I think certainly the way I've perceived creation and work and art in the past is this real sense of permanence and mm-hmm. forever yeah whereas totally. now you you know you can create a piece of content that expires and 24 hours and it will never live again and it could just gives yeah. you this real opportunity to play and I'm kind of going off on a weird tangent but thank you so much I can't actually wait to edit this because it's going to be so inspiring and so amazing and I just want to let you know I appreciate your work and your art so much as a creator what you put out inspires me and gives me a thousand ideas from which I get to then kind of jump off of and, and play around with. So it's been incredibly encouraging for me to see you put your podcast out and your newsletter out. Also, the people that you're finding. Okay, wait, I do have one more, <laughs> one more thing I want to explore in this very selfishly. And hopefully I, I feel like there's a lot of people listening that actually want to hear this as well. Mm-hmm. How do you, and again, two-part question, BZ, worst habit ever. One, how do you craft a stellar interview? But secondly, how do you get your interviewees? Because they are like, I mean, they're famous as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) And I would never have the balls to reach out to some of the people you've not only reached out to, but already interviewed. And you've done it. And I I mean, I don't, I know you'll understand how I'm saying this, but again, for the people listening, it's not like you're coming from this place with like thousands of followers and like all no. of this quote unquote credibility behind you. Like it's a brand new podcast, completely new platforms in terms of your social media presence. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your listenership or, or newsletter are like, but I would guess it's they're not numbers that someone would be like, ooh, I'm going to be in front of a million people. This is no. this is an easy yes. In so- fact, you'd be shocked how small it is, actually, probably. Yeah. I And just real quick to like wrap up that last thing, because I do want to add like, number one, I mean, not everyone has a house to bet, right? So like my bet is using that asset, but other people have different assets. And no matter where you're at, I think you're like able to pull from whatever assets you have to like sort of ask yourself continually, like how you bet right now on what you can do. And it doesn't have to like mean giving your full life to it right away. You know, like it's definitely not always going to look like that. And for me right now, it's the reality of it is very real. Like, you know, it sounds so fucking dreamy, you know, like taking a year off and like doing something you love and your purpose work and living in the gift and like all those things. But like I have been texting my friends all week to be like, I am really fucking in it. I am high stress. Like. I have moved in order to sell my house. 
the housing isn't working out. So I have to move for the second time in three weeks. I am, because of that, literally holding down writ at two places and a mortgage at a third. And that is like more financial stress than I have ever coped with in my whole life. Like, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it feels very high risk, high reward in this moment. And hopefully that feels very different even in a month once my house has sold. But yeah, it's the journey is real, man. It, it's not yeah. glamorous, you know, a lot of the time. It sounds really glamorous, but it's really, it's not. The choice to continue being creative is a an active, dynamic, dangerous choice all the time. That, you know? And like, just to thank you for sharing that. And no one tells you that it's a good idea. <laughs> there is not one message, one blog, one caretaker, one teacher, one guide, one financial advisor right. that will say, I mean, even when you're just trying to like get a mortgage for a house, they're like, I'm sorry, what have you done for the last few years? <laughs> like, right. where's your W-2? Right. But so anywho, it's, there's not even in this progression, there's not even a lot of places you can turn yeah. to say, what, what's your feedback here? Because yeah. it, it will always be negative. Yeah. And that's that's where you have to, I think when you start actually doing work you care enough about to take those risks that you have to get to a place where you trust yourself so much. And again, the trust waivers, like I, I don't have like unconditional faith even in myself, but like the trust has to be strong enough that you're like, everyone around me is saying it's a bad idea. And there's something that like, I can't let go of and I have to do it anyway. And even if it results in total failure that like it wasn't a failure and also my whole life I feel like when given the choice between doing something I loved and failing miserably and financially just like you know starving or whatever and doing shit I didn't really care about the rest of my life and making a good paycheck like I just can't like that that to me isn't a choice I either live a meaningful life feeling like I've spent the precious time I've been given here on something that matters to me or I'm just like apathetic the whole time. I don't know. Like that just doesn't seem like a choice to me, but it is a real choice. It's a choice I face every single day and it is real for everyone. But when I'm faced with a question, I always choose one answer for the most part. But in terms of like how I get people. So yeah, this is actually something I think we originally when we were like, let's do a podcast when I was like still talking about like branding and marketing stuff. I was like, let's talk to people about this because it is actually like a really practical useful thing to know. And I would say the process looks like determining who I want to talk to, keeping a good list of those people and their contact information. And then, yeah, every like in an ideal world, I think frequently I would just like spend time every week, like reaching out to those people via email usually. And I think most people think that a lack of response is a no, but usually a lack of response is just an I'm busy and I haven't even seen your email. And so part of that is just like following up with people consistently. And usually that's like three days after I send the email, the first one, and then seven days after that, and then 10 days later. And then if that doesn't work, switching channels. So if I've been on email, then I switch to Instagram or something because maybe they just don't actually read their email, but they are on Instagram. It's like you, like you, I don't know that you like email. But you <laughs> like so. What's up? You need to hit me on like all the platforms. Right. Sometimes I'm just in a like, I'm not like outwardly communicating with people right. at the moment, which is weird for everybody else. But I like email stopped being my boss and <laughs> social media is a tool for me. But yeah, yeah, sometimes I just like I'm tripping the light fantastic in my own little world. And to your point, people get like really offended. And it's like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, actually. But like, yeah. I, yeah, I always try to say like, thank you for your patience in my reply. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, Thanks. Ashley, so Ashley Jane Lewis is someone I interviewed yesterday and I was so intent on having her on. I was like willing to sort of suffer like 
you know, going beyond what I would do in like a relationship, for instance. Like I'm like, at some point you're just groveling and you should have enough self-respect just to like take a no, like someone's not responding. But like I was so intent with Ashley that I think I followed up with her for six months frequently on various different channels. And she had at one point, like part of why I did that also is because relatively early on or like maybe a quarter of the way through that experience a follow-up, she had said yes and then never booked anything. And I never heard from her again. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. And this is not a knock on Ashley at all. She's a genius and brilliant and just very busy because she's amazing. But I had to be so persistent about it that eventually she was like, now I have time. <laughs> so that well, just to like to what, how we mentioned before, I will tell people I like you need to you need to offend me <laughs> if you want me to go away. You need to say, right. I do yeah. not want to talk to you. Not now, but ever. Yeah. Please get away from me. I will always assume you're busy because yeah. I'm busy. I don't know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, no, I love one of my favorite things is I went to a science communication conference in November 2019 and Allie Ward, who's now one of the most famous podcasting people on the planet. She runs a podcast called Ologies. If you don't know her, love her, listen to her, obsess over her. But she was the keynote of that science communication conference and at some point she was talking about like she said the phrase be the cockroach like there will be so many people who say that you're not allowed into the spaces that you want to be allowed into or the people who don't mm -hmm. think that you deserve to be in a certain space and your job is just to be the cockroach like you will never go away sneak under the door you know like do all the things that a cockroach has to do until you're allowed into those spaces and you know sometimes you won't be but like I think that's the other part of well two things I would say one is uh, sincerity and love of someone's work goes further than anything else I could ever tell you to do practically. The only reason that I got David Epstein to be a guest on my show is because in the real world, I had read Range, Why Generalists um, Triumph in a Specialized World, my, his book that I love, or one of his books. And I had seen this thread on Twitter at some point where someone was talking about normalizing changing jobs over and over again. And someone in the comment thread had said something about like recommending reading range. And I commented under that and I was like, man, I came here to say this exact same thing. Also, because when I read range, I had cried like three times within the first 12 pages because it was the first time I felt so seen, especially around work. And David actually saw it because the other, per the previous poster had tagged him. And when David saw it, he tweeted back at me and was like, if you send my assistant your email address, I will send you a signed copy of the paperback when it comes out. Oh, my God. So he already was just like an incredibly generous human and saw that and was kind to me. And because of that, I had his direct email address. And so when I started the before I even launched the podcast, he was one of the first people I invited. So I think he was he ended up being released as episode five, I think. But yeah, he was one of the earliest interviews. And that was before literally he didn't he didn't ask what my audience size was. He didn't ask what my list size was. He didn't ask about any of those things like the sincerity of loving his work was enough that I could email his assistant again and be like, hey, remember me from several months ago? I was that person who you sent the paperback to. I would love to interview David <laughs> on my show. Yeah, from Twitter. <laughs> like, And so I had an in. And then, I mean, the interview went so well because I also was so sincerely like his work, like I think his his interview and Andreas Weber's they're just two books that had like literally become part of my cellular DNA. Like I lived inside of these books. Like they lived inside of me so deeply that like, yes, I overly prepared for them, but also I knew them so well because they became biblical to me in a way. It was like part of how I was living my life. Like they were life practices. And so that level of a sincerity and like really reaching out to people that you like genuinely want to talk to and you love their work, I think goes further. Like I think in sort of business talk, 
or marketing. There's like some people who say every week, just bust out, like do the same routine. You send out five emails to the five people you want to talk to and like you repeat it over and over and over again. And I think you could do that a thousand times. And a lot of those would say yes. And that's part of the practice. That's part of what I do is consistently asking people. But I have sort of moved more to a place of being like, who currently has maybe I could even say like inspired a kind of aliveness in me that I know that my sincerity will come through and be felt. And when I ask that a lot of times, not always, for sure, not always. Like I have asked some recent authors who have said no, who I genuinely think are saying no, just because they know my audience size isn't big enough. But like even then I go like, cool, we'll I'll ask again in the future. Yeah, like I don't tell them, but like, yeah, I'll talk to them later. It feels personal. It feels really hard when you get a no from someone you really care about or someone just never responds. There are plenty of people on my list where I have either gotten a no or I've gotten a lack of response and it feels kind of devastating and I wish that they wouldn't. But like, I just go, okay, well, no is a part of the process, you know, and the more often I get no's, the more often I'll start to get yeses also. So it's just a practice of continuing to do it. But I have just started to really put a lot of power behind the idea of like reaching out to people that like really their work matters to you. And knowing that that alone is like a magnifying, it's like an exponent factor of, you know, what you would normally do on just like asking people just because you're asking to ask. These are people I sincerely care about their work and I want other people to care about their work. And so that has gone a long way for me in getting that. But like, the yeah, the magic of David was that like he had literally no idea what my audience size was. And he said yes, not even knowing that like literally as of today, having this conversation, my audience size is 135 people on my newsletter and probably 220 people listen to every episode of the podcast, which is just minuscule. <laughs> you know, like I'm brand new. And I also hate social media, so I don't have an interest of actually being on social media very much. And that's just my own take. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's amazing when people can just very transparently share their numbers and especially like when it comes to economics and money as well, only because I think we should normalize it. It's just zeros and ones. But because money has become the metric for value, at least in American culture, but probably for most white colonialist capitalist yeah. societies. And it's just, it's a unit of measurement. Yeah. And the it's so unfortunate that we've we've attributed that measurement to value. But but I think that's a spiritual, I mean, just to like sort of wrap that into like, I think the original intent of the conversation, like that's the part that I actually think is spiritual is the exponent factor is that there's something like magical and mystical about that sort of gift. Like, again, like it is operating very much in the gift where it's like, your work has been a gift to me. You feel that when I ask it, you feel inspired to like actually give to me in return. That's exactly what David Andreas did. And they were like incredible interviews. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I could listen to the David Epstein interview 800 times and never get tired of it. Like it's it's just such a quality conversation. And Andreas also, Andreas's work has probably been more foundational to me than anyone else in the last several years. And so for that reason, like also I show up in a, in a way that like I have more life. I'm talking to him with more life. He then feels more enlivened. We have a better enlivened conversation. Then more people listen to it because when they hear it, they hear that. So like yeah. I could spend forever doing marketing that I don't really fucking care about. But when like I'm doing things that I care about, there is an exponential factor that happens because the mysticism of being like, I fucking love this, not just what I'm doing, but like the people whose work I'm supporting and the people who I'm spreading to other people. And when they hear it, they feel more enlivened. And then like they feel more inspired to listen more. They tell other people about it. Like I can't I can't control that. The only thing, I, you know, like and that's the magic thing is that it's like, 
I could sit here and try to do the control thing, which is like busting out 800 emails to people that I like only minimally care about. Like, you know this when you're applying for a job, you can send out 800 resumes to places you don't give a fuck about working at. But like when you actually send one to someone that like you really care about, the opportunity, the exponential chance that the employer is actually going to give you an interview is magnified like thousandfold. So like I think the same thing happens when like we are doing work that we really care about and we're at, talking to people we really care about and we're inspired by because yeah, that aliveness factor is something that's real that like you can't really control for other than like continuing again like to be connected to source. Like when I am more enlivened, I talk to people in a more enlivened way. People listen to that and they're more enlivened and then they spread it around in a way that like I could never even pay money for. Like I could pay for thousands of Facebook ads and it would never do the work of the mystical part of just fucking loving what you're doing and other people loving it in return like that it's it's free it's a gift and it's like completely uncontrollable other than like making sure you stay in that flow <sighs> i feel more alive right now and i will say listening to your podcasts i mean that's one of the reasons there's such a like ping for me for lack of a better to just go full woo again like i get so many inspirational hits from them right. is because of the pure energy and exchange and gift in their existence. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I think you kind of already answered the how to craft a really oh yeah interview is you just have to fucking. Yeah, I think that's a thing. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And again, like you could spend forever crafting the perfect questions, which I, I honor. Like I do part of that for sure. Like I said earlier, like I spent a lot of time reading and watching basically everything that David Epstein has online and, you know, in print so that I could be prepared for that. That's not what I normally do. But yeah, there is nothing that can be there is nothing. There is no amount of preparation that can be sincerity and like generosity curiosity. and care and curiosity yeah. yeah like those i think are the only thing that matter in marketing of any type like that's what i think marketers talk about when they're like oh marketing isn't like you know it's not just about data or numbers or whatever it's about like doing what you care about like that's the reality though it's like the reality is that like you can't pay for that amount of just actual genuine curiosity and i think too just like a last thing on this that i think it's really important to know for people that like living in the gift is not free it's not meant to be free it's like if you actually look at indigenous cultures it's not about like not actually being supported it's very much about like you have resources you have enough of those resources you give to me out of your excess and I give like I give this podcast out of my aliveness is it like because I love it so much that feels like an excess to me where it pours out of me and so I give out of that space and it's also just like not anticipating a certain amount in return or even something at all out of return it's recognizing that in a gift economy sometimes I give something and someone feels so grateful for that that they give to someone else or that they you know, they can't give it all right now because maybe they're sick and they're dealing with chronic illness. But like six months from now, they are resourced in this other way. And it's like sort of trusting the magic of the universe to go like when I give out of this space, somehow the research enough resources will come back to me. And it might not be from the people who directly listen to me. It might not be like all these things that I can't again, I can't control for. I know that when I give out of this space, like it's indigenous culture, like this is how this works is that it's like the universe actually finds a way to spread excess to me in a way that I can trust that I will survive. And so it's not going like I would do this for free like I would. I am in a lot of ways, but like it's not with an expectation that like no one ever has to support it. It's going like I'm hoping that's why Kyle said like it's the most important thing to work out of a space that like 
you are able to give out of the spirit of a gift and generosity and gratitude because when people feel that they actually feel inspired to like give to others or even just to do their own work if some of the giving that happens because i'm doing my work is that like you said like you or others hear it and they feel inspired or they get an insight that trips their thing that goes like oh my god now i want to do this thing then the gift economy is about generative work like the universe is generative so like when i create something out of generosity like it generates more life somewhere else and in that system of mutual aid that we are all supported and part of that is that some resources would flow to me and sometimes that's financial sometimes it's giving me a bed to sleep on you know sometimes it's buying me a dinner like sometimes it's buying a book that i haven't read that would really inspire me and you're like oh my god i've heard brandy say this and i think she needs to hear this book those are all forms of quote-unquote payment and generosity and living in the gift yeah because <laughs> that wasn't based on any question but like i felt like you you know you mentioned something about working for free and i i want to make sure that like when i talk about this it's not heard as like you just give to the detriment of yourself you know like that is not what this is yeah. about yeah yeah well no and thank you thank you so much thank you for giving to us to our listeners and to me and for creating the conversations and provoking thought points that you do this has just been amazing and i mean i i'm certainly feeding off of your aliveness <laughs> i can hear it hear it in your voice throughout this conversation and it's it's just been amazing so i'm i'm so honored to have been able to have this experience with you and so grateful that you reached out and was kind of the kick in the bum because that was one of you know i was like toying with this idea of doing interviews and being intimidated not just by amazing podcasts like yours, but the the idea of competition. And the, I mean, there's so many interview format podcasts out there. Yeah. That's another one, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And so yeah. when you reached out, it really was the catalyst that I went, okay, this is something that's supposed to happen. Yeah. And yeah, so thank you for that as well. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing is like, I only show up to these conversations when it feels like a gift for me to be here also, right? So like, I feel super grateful for being invited on and yeah, it's so fun to get to talk to you about creative shit. And I, what's great is that like basically all we did was hit record on a conversation that you and I have already had and will continue to have, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you're definitely coming back. I am a thousand percent serious in a year we're doing the follow up. Yeah, I can't wait to know <laughs> what Brandy a year from now is going to be saying. Uh, the, yeah, well, I'm, I'm anticipating hearing about the Brene Brown interview. So. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> and everything else that's happened yeah. in between i don't know about a year but we're gonna it's gonna happen someday uh, time's make believe yeah. it's definitely gonna time's happen an illusion. yeah um okay so before we go where can people find you all of that jazz we've obviously talked about the podcast yes. heaps but i think the newsletter is also really important for you to yeah the newsletter yeah. is like i mean what's fun is that i don't know i think as a creative too i'm like i love interview podcasts but i also understand that like I do have things to say. And so I want to be able to say those more. And I might not always do interviews on the podcast, but that has largely been the format there. But in the newsletter, it's where I get a chance to like really sit down and consider and write something that I care about, which is less off the cuff and much more like articulate, hopefully, but like really wrestling with things that are going on in my own life or like things that I've struggled with or insights I'm gaining or whatever, you know, so it feels a lot more like personal in a lot of ways. And so I release a newsletter right now about every other week and then podcasts every other week in between those weeks. 
And so, yeah, people can go to thisplusthat.com and that will lead you either to the podcast or to sign up for the newsletter. And yeah, I also generally share what's fun about the newsletter is that I share sort of related reading to each podcast. So even when I announce those, I love, as is obvious, I love making connections between everything. So when I release a podcast, I have like five to 10 things that I know you should read or watch that are related to that podcast. So it feels a little bit like a way I'm able to like maintain kind of a book study idea with people. (laughs) It's like, if you're interested in this, read these other things. But then I also have a text community that I'm doing that has been really fun for me. It's really small also right now, but because the newsletter and the podcast take so much sort of like production work and they're so considered, the text community is something where when you sign up for it through my website, I think my website says text me or something in one of the top navigation links. Basically, it puts you onto a platform where like, I don't see your phone number, you don't have my real phone number, but like I can send out to everybody things that like our behind the scenes content or like yesterday I sent out something about Ashley Jane Lewis and just like a screenshot of us talking on the Zoom call. And, you know, sometimes I send things that inspire me or quotes that I'm reading or whatever. So they're a lot more short and easily digestible. And I think also just like probably the most personal place that I get to sort of show up publicly because, yeah, it's just like a more private community and you can respond to me. So you can text me back and I can either reply to you individually or what's cool about the platform called community, which you actually told me about, I'm realizing in this moment, is that when you hit enough scale and you'd be scared for that many people to be replying to your text, that it will actually use AI to group together similar responses. And then you can just respond to the the groups with similar stuff. So anyway, that's a more practical note, but I've been doing that and it's been a lot of fun. So I would say that. And then social media, like I said, I am really actively only doing social media in a way that allows people to share the content if they like it. So I only really post like artwork that people can share related to each episode and don't really spend a lot of time there elsewhere or otherwise. But I am at this plus that pod on Twitter and Instagram. Well, and the fact that thisplusthat.com was available. Oh, I had to buy it. Greenlight got from the universe. <laughs> oh, did you have to yeah. like, down some, some URL seller? Yeah, it thankfully, yeah, this is actually a fun, like practical creative note is that like this plus that pod was available. And so I sort of battled between just like the fact that this plus that was not available on social media. I was like, should I just be this plus that pod everywhere? So I got the URL, this plus that pod, but this plus that dot com was taken and I went through like a reseller or whatever and was connected to the guy who was selling it. He was asking for like $2,500 or something. And I was like, listen, I am trying to do work in the world that like really matters to me and I hope is a gift to other people. Like I gave him the whole gift speech basically. Uh And I was like, all I can afford is like $500. And he just didn't even write me back. He just sent me a bill for $500. And I was like, I'm paying it. Like, it's worth it, you know, because like 500 bucks and the drop of like however long I hope this thing will last is just like a small amount. But I did still have to pay for it. Well, just for the record, I have hit up several resellers who have been like, F you. (laughs) Yeah. It's 5,000 bucks or it's 25,000 bucks. And so again, I still look at that like a green light. Oh, no, 100%. Balls to do that. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. And this plus that pod on the various social platforms. Yes. And yeah, when you go to your website, a splash page pops up for people who want to join the text community, yeah. which I can attest to is super fun. <laughs> and then you can send Brandy cheeky little messages whenever you want, <laughs> yes. which is I also love. really fun. It's personally also fun because like the, and not to talk for too much longer, just the, the the nature of the podcast and the newsletter is pretty one directional. You know, I'm just sort of 
sending it out to people. And what's fun about the text community is it feels a little bit more like people can talk to me and tell me their opinions and feedback and all that sort of stuff. So that's fun. Yeah. I mean, you do open up. You're, you're, you often ask, like, what are your thoughts or what are your feedback or who should I talk to? I don't know. It yeah. feels conversational to yeah. me. But I am a very low touch person when yeah. it comes to social interaction of like I could text you once and then like six weeks text you back yeah. and think that that was a normal cadence totally most people are like I thought you died well thank you so much Franny this has been amazing like I said I'm actually super excited to edit this and just get to listen back let alone put it out there so thank you that's yeah. how I can say thank you a thousand more times but it really <laughs> has been a gift yeah well thank you for having me on 